All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. World leaders are gathering today in Dubai. Forget this, and this is not a joke, friends. A two-week conference dedicated to figuring out how to fix climate change. This just strikes me as the epitome of irony because they're in Dubai. And the president of the organization who is putting this on, called COP28, is Sultan Al-Jabir, who uh, he is the leader of this climate change summit, and he also is the head of a UAE oil company. So again, to me, this looks like, wait a minute, you know, this is, you know, the tobacco industry trying to, air quotes, solve the problem of smoking. Maybe I'm wrong, and that's what we are going to talk with our next guest about, because I'm often wrong, so come on. I mean, no kidding. Well, you think that, like Dubai is one of the biggest polluters? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, it's just there's a lot of oil under Dubai, so oh, they're you know the, it's it's Why an would they, oil yeah. industry. Why yes, would right. they want to help solve prophecy. climate change when they want to keep selling fossil fuels? And I need an education about this. So, Dr. John Abraham is gracious enough to join us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. As you know, Dr. Abraham uh, from the University of St. Thomas School of Engineering. So, Dr. Abraham, thanks again for coming back to the show. Well, it's great to be on, and um, I listened to the lead-in to my appearance, and it sounds like uh, I'm going to join you guys watching some TV shows yes. tonight. That was What's your opinion, John? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. I mean, Ken, yes. first of all, the question, can one man love two women? I mean, we know you've got several degrees in things that I can't even pronounce, but can... I know oh, the answer to that. Okay. I know the answer to that. I have a wife and four daughters... And so it is possible to love yes. multiple women. I think you meant in a different kind of way. Yes. Pro- yes. Um, and if you did, then I'm, I'm going to be silent on okay. that. I, I don't know. I haven't done enough research. If you want to stay married, typical you better scientist say no. bailing out typical oh, the right, science right. community. Both sides, but doing both sides of the issue. Okay. Well, Dr. Abraham, thank you, Adam, for that burning question. But to get to the information at hand. I mean, is this a good place, Dubai, and is somebody who runs an oil company a good moderator of a climate change summit? Or am I being naive and thinking that they can't do both or they have a vested well, interest in one instead of the other? Well, for, uh, first of all, you're never naive. <laughs> um, and the answer is yes and no. Um, so there's some good things and bad things about this. Um, on, on the one hand, yeah, there is a conflict of interest. And if the... Uh, uh, if, if the fossil fuel companies who are helping and, and countries that are helping put on this conference try to manipulate any agreement or rules so that they can uh, advance their own economic interests and continue to pollute, that is definitely a bad thing. And we've seen that kind of behavior before, especially from U.S. fossil fuel companies. Now, on the other hand, there's potentially a silver lining. Because uh, people in the fossil fuel industry are looking ahead and they are seeing that fossil fuels will not have a very long future um, as, uh, for, for powering our societies. And they are trying to diversify and uh, advance to the next energy revolution, which is going to be clean energy. So 
perhaps these fossil fuel companies and countries want to get involved in the next stage of the clean renewable energy crisis or situation. But yes, you are right that there is a potential conflict of interest here. And if past behavior is any indication of what we can expect, we should be somewhat concerned. So, but, so if somebody of uh, these companies that for generations have used, you know, produced fossil fuel, taken fossil fuels and produced oil, gas, whatever it is, uh, how difficult would it be for those companies to find like a cleaner energy to produce? Is it something they can even be in the, uh, in, in the neighborhood of, as opposed to companies that are at the forefront of kind of creating this energy? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. There's really a, a couple uh, approaches to that problem. First of all, companies that are in the fossil fuel industry uh, industries can work to reduce their emissions. So they can deliver gas to your car that is less polluting. They can deliver electricity to your home that is less polluting. They can make things more efficient. So that's using existing fuel, but doing it in a better way. But in addition, these companies are diversifying. I mean, they see wind and solar is going to be the future. And I've already had this experience in my own travels around the world. There are fossil fuel companies that are making heavy investments in wind and solar. They want to be a player in the clean energy revolution, and they're taking action now to to solidify their position. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's There's a number of ways to reduce the amount of pollution that we put into the air. And I, I suspect the fossil fuel companies see the writing on the wall. They're looking through their crystal balls into the future, and they know that time is limited on fossil fuels, so they want to be uh, they want to uh, uh, jump on the train of clean renewable energy. That's my guess, but we'll have to see how this all shakes out. Uh, Dr. Abraham, I read yesterday, because you're talking about alternative sources of energy, so I want to get this question in there before we get back to the climate summit. Um, Google now is partnering with a startup to develop new technology to harness, harness excuse me, geothermal power. So... I don't know. I, I understand solar. I understand wind. I don't understand geothermal energy. Can you share that? And is that a viable option? Yeah, sure. And it is a viable option. Um, so geothermal energy uses energy from the ground, from geography. And you can do that in a couple of ways. Um, I believe for the Google application, they have some hot rock under the surface of the earth, and they're piping a liquid down into the earth it heats up and then they pipe it to the surface and now you've got a hot liquid. Um, so you can reduce your energy uses. You can provide hot water for, for residential commercial uses. There's also geothermal um, heating and cooling in other areas where you cool a, a house or a building. Um, it turns out if you go about a meter down in, into the ground, in most places on the planet, the temperature is very stable year round. It's around 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can take, let's say in Minnesota, you could take outside air, you could pump it underground and then bring it into your house. And by the time it gets into your house, it is heated up from the bitterly cold wind that we experience in, let's say, January to around 55 Fahrenheit. And so that's a huge energy saving. So geothermal energy uses the temperature of the earth to reduce energy use. And, and it's been around for a long time, and it's, it's one of the next main areas of clean, renewable energy. You just said that been around for a long time, and I think I've heard of it, but I thought it was a great explanation you, you made of it, and now I've got a grasp of that. But my point is here with this question, are there things like today 
that like even tomorrow or a week, a month from now, that we wouldn't have any idea that could be used as an energy source that will be. In, in other words, you know, we've got the you know, wind, solar, geothermal, nuclear. Is there a possibility that, you know, like a year from now, there could be something completely different that could, we, we could be talking about and could be the new craze? No. No, I don't think that, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything big that's going to come out uh, that's going to surprise us. But I can tell you the areas that are fruitful, we're looking at uh, bigger and more efficient wind turbines that are installed on, in oceans. Um, you can put these on floating platforms and they can generate a lot more energy than land-based ones. Um, we're looking for um, advancements to geothermal energy to make them more efficient. Of course, you know, you've heard of cold fusion, which always seems to be a couple years away. Um, a water power, hydraulic power, so like wind turbines, but in running water are also areas that are uh, evolving. So there are some technologies that are in their nascent stages that are being worked on. But if the question is, is there something out of the blue that's going to appear by next year? Um, I, I haven't seen anything and, and there's no indication that something secret is being worked on. But you know, there is a pipeline for better technologies that are coming that are going to lower the cost of energy for people and reduce uh, emissions. So all of that is good. But is there something totally new that's going to come out? I, I highly doubt that. I just want to ask another question about uh, this conference that is happening in Dubai. And it starts today. It's going for two weeks. Um, the leaders of it are talking about hammering out a roadmap to cut greenhouse gas emissions that would prevent the world from warming more than the agreed-upon threshold of 1.5 degrees. Now, just at least from what I've read, that once our planet's long-term average temperature reaches 1.5 degrees Celsius above our pre-industrial era average temperature, then all of a sudden the damage to our planet may become irreversible. Can you just, in layman's terms, can you just share what temperature that would be? Why is this 1.5 degree threshold so important? And how can we stop it from breaching that threshold? Yeah, boy, great question. Well, the answer to your last question is easy. We're not going to stop it. We will absolutely blow past the 1.5 degree threshold, um, regardless of what is done at this conference. Uh, Answer two is... Um, the 1.5 degrees is somewhat arbitrary. Let me explain very briefly. We need a target. We need to have a target that everyone can agree on, and let's try to reach a goal. And the 1.5 degrees was picked as that goal. It initially wasn't 1.5. It, it originally was 2 degrees as the, as the so-called threshold. Now, what is so magic about 2 degrees or 1.5? Nothing. But the fact is, as we warm – we're going to continue to get more and more negative consequences. And around 1.5 or 2 degrees, the consequences are going to become very severe. But I don't want people to think that if we stay at 1.4 degrees Celsius, everything's going to be fine. And if we get to 1.6 degrees, the world is going to end. That's, it's not a, uh, a, a setup like that. It's not digital like that. It's as we warm, we're going to continue to get more and more expensive consequences. And right now, Climate change is costing the U.S. about $300 billion per year. That's billion with a B. Those costs are going to continue to increase. The 1.5 is just a target that we've used to have a target to point to, but there's nothing magic about it, um, and, and unfortunately, we're not going to hit it. But, but all of that is sort of bad news. The good news is 
we can actually take action right now to reduce the impact of climate change. And we can do it in a way that not only saves money, but also saves the environment. So we've talked about wind and solar power. In Minnesota, you can power your homes and businesses with wind and solar, no emissions at all, at the same cost as coal. Uh, you can drive a car, an electric car, far cheaper than you can a gas car in terms of operating costs. So we're at the point where we can make choices that save money and save the environment. That's always a good thing to do. But to, between us three and anyone else listening, let's not get too fixated on an arbitrary 1.5 degrees Celsius. Dr. John Abraham from the University of St. Thomas. Last question. Who do you have, Teresa Nist or Leslie Fema, oh. winning the Golden Bachelor? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I'm going to have to say that I, I, as, a, as a scientist, I want to do careful research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I need to give this a lot of deliberation today. Yeah. Um, is it okay with you if I uh, send you my predictions sure. later in the day? Yes, yes. <laughs> thanks, we'll we'll thanks, be waiting guys. for those. Thank you, Dr. Abraham. We enjoy our conversations. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, Doc. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, by research, he means finding out what that show is and who those people are because I uh, well, don't blame knows. him for one second not knowing. He knows. Um, you brought up a story before that we have, haven't gotten to and I would really like to talk about that. It is that Minnesota has lost 34% yeah. of its local newspaper. Probably not shocking. No, but, no. Um, but I, how has this affected you? In your community, have you felt that loss? Do you fear the looming Loss. Let's talk about that next. So, yeah, Axios has the the figure thirty four percent since two thousand five. We have lost in Minnesota thirty four percent of our local newspapers. And you may think, well, yeah, that's inevitable. That's and and that that is true with the way things work now and the lack of money to be put in these small newspapers. And some were just bought, even like the Pioneer Press. Like, what's happened to the Pioneer Press? Bought up by a, it's been gutted for those who don't know. a hedge know. fund, you know, like how many reporters did you say they currently have on staff? Like twenty three. No, that's, that that's not enough. I don't even know if that's that might even be high. It really? might that might be total. St- that might include like editors and stuff. Yeah, but and you might think, well, who cares? Like I don't miss the little newspaper that I barely read. But you know what? If you stop and think about what you're missing because of that, mm-hmm. it is significant mm-hmm. because you have. Uh, police departments, you have county boards, and I'm not saying all of them are corrupt or that there's all funny business, but there's checks. There's some funny business. And the checks mm-hmm. are reporters who mm-hmm. show up to those meetings mm-hmm. and, and hold them accountable. Meetings. Correct. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it becomes a huge story. If a reporter says, oh, something's wrong with this or there's, right. uh, you know, so- something's a little off here, they're trying to push something through, it might get picked up by a bigger news outlet, right. and that's how you uncover it's corruption. Not, and, and it's not even that to. To get to that point, it's the fact that, well, you know, we could do this and spend a little money on this, uh, you know, but if there's a reporter, even just asking, well, what's that for? Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, just Ah, to say conscience. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't do that because they might find that out. So just that guardrail is there that Mm -hmm. gives people, you know, somebody's watching me here. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not suggesting that. 
it's rampant that oh, because there are no small town reporters in these county board meetings or whatever that suddenly these commissioners and council members are mm-hmm. you know stealing from the stealing from the city or county or whatever it is but it's just it's nice to have them there to give you a little more comfort because there are we that story that John Ryan did for the Star Tribune about that couple up in uh, Mora <laughs> that the county board was about just, the driveway. Yes, yes. It's like that. That stuff probably happens all over the place, mm-hmm. and if you don't have an outlet, it's like you feel powerless. It's like if you think you're getting screwed by somebody, you know, like a, a the government. So then, whose responsibility is it? Don't tell me that. Well, you know, we've got Facebook now, and around. you know, citizens are their own journalists now. That's garbage. No, stop it. There are no. rules to journalism. Yes, there's training. Exactly. There's, yeah. So that does not replace the small town newspaper. And I know it sounds archaic just to say small town newspaper, but but they then serve a is purpose. the small town and the people of that town or county are they responsible for? Keeping it alive and subscribing to it and paying the salary. Right. I mean, usually they're run by big media companies, but big media companies are like, ah, we don't care what's happening in Mora, which they probably don't. And it's not, and it's not on the citizens to say, you know, I should pay just to keep this business going. You don't think it's that they should I don't think subscribe so. to the paper to make sure they have if it's viable, but I don't, but so but I don't think it's well. I, I just don't think it's. The responsibility of the average citizen to um, say simply because we need this newspaper or because I think we need this newspaper, it should be on us to do that. There should be a better business model for that. How are they going to make money? I mean, how is a, a, like a reporter I mean, going to get paid? That's right, but is, is what I'm saying. Know, if their subscriptions it, are down. That's the problem. Is it's reflectant of the habits of the people yeah, that live in those communities it. that used to get the small town newspaper yeah. and read it and consume the advertising that was in that newspaper. Mm-hmm. And now those same people are turning to online sources or national sources right. or social media what? instead mm-hmm. of reading. And that it also has newspaper. to do. And it also has to do too that a lot of you know when these small town newspapers existed, they had small town businesses that advertised with them where they had somebody yeah. on staff yeah. and could go down to Jerry's funeral home mm-hmm. and say, Jerry, do you want, uh, can I get you another? So you bet, you know, I'm supporting those are local business supporting yeah. each other. Now, you know, a lot of those small businesses don't exist anymore either because mm-hmm. there's Walmarts and there's other mm-hmm. big time, you know, corporations that have moved in. So that's, that's, that's where it's destroyed too. that business model. It's a broken system, yeah. but we're sad to see them go. And it would be nice if they had some kind of a revival that people were reading it. I mean, a lot of, even online with a digital paywall, whatever it is, uh, we will all be at a loss for the lack of this reporting. Yep. Coming up next, dear Jordana, if you've got a burning question. Yeah, it used to be you could put your uh, advice column in, in the local newspaper. Well, That's guess right. what? We don't have that, but you can still get it right here. And, and here it's free. You know, radio's still free. You're still getting my free advice. And remember... It's worth what you paid for it. So ask your questions next. All right, here we go. There's the number, 651-461-9226. Jan, who listens all the time, she's got a question for you. Jan must have a lot of drama in her life because she's got a text every week to Dear Jordana that is crazy. So, um, Is it crazy this week? Well, it's, I mean, it's scandalous. Uh, so I, I hope Jan is okay with everything, but she's got a lot of, you know, may you live in interesting times, they say. Jan is definitely living in interesting times. Um, dear Jordana, 
Uh, my friend's son came home from the military leave in April to get married. His bride gave birth to an eight-pound baby girl six months later. She uh, claims that the baby was premature. Does this pass the smell test, and can the marriage be saved? Dear Jordana, that's from Jan, who's, we'll just call her Drama Jan. Jan, an eight-pound baby girl is not a premature baby. No, that's a big baby, big that's, baby. That's a nice big round baby. Um, I mean, can the marriage be saved? It can always be saved. She, I guess she's trying to pass it off as you know. She says the baby's know, premature. It's, it's wanna, you know he's away at that's war. That's why you get paid the big bucks. To answer she's these lonely. <sighs> Having somebody live a lie and parent a child that might not be theirs. Um, I think I say. Look, you got to take her at her word if she says that this is his baby. But she should come clean if it's not, and then they should work through it. Mm -hmm. They should. Because maybe it was just one indiscretion. Maybe she was just very lonely. Clearly, if she's having another relationship outside the marriage, then no, it can't be saved, and she should go be with her boyfriend or whatever. But if this was a I'm lonely, my husband's away, I really miss him, um, she needs to be honest and then move forward. But, Jan, anything can be saved. Very nice. It's very hopeful on your part instead of saying just saying, no, it's over. I do. I do believe in redemption, yeah. forgiveness. Sure. I believe in all of those things. I believe in family. And marriage is hard. You know, there are times when this is not going to be the only time she apologizes for something. Marriage is hard. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear Jordana, my son and daughter-in-law still keep their five-year-old in a crib. There's no lack of love in the house, but it just seems unhealthy to the grandparents. My wife and I. What do you think? Do I say anything? Thank you. I don't know. Wait, explain it, explain I don't get it again. It. That's, I'm just reading it. Yeah, okay. They keep the five-year-old. I, I just think, are they wondering whether or not the five-year-old is it too old? Is a five-year-old too old to keep in a crib? I think that's what it boils down to. Yes. A five-year-old is too old to keep in a crib. Yeah, it's been a while down. since I had a five-year-old, but also, especially if there's another baby. Didn't I hear there's another baby sleeping in there? No. Oh, oh, I thought there was another infant in there. Um... Yeah, the five-year-old should be transitioned to a toddler bed and then a real bed. I mean, David, you own a couple of these youngsters. When do you get the kids out of the crib? Uh, well, that's interesting because we're right on the cusp. But my five-year-old is out of a crib. My three-year-old is still mm -hmm. in the crib. Mm -hmm. But to me, I mean, the crib is big enough that even my five-year-old could sleep comfortably. Yeah. It's large enough. And yeah. the, the three-year-old can get in and out on her own. So it's it, essentially it's just a small bed right now. So as long as it's not like – causing them to not be able to stretch out and sleep properly, right. I actually don't have a problem with it. If yeah. you, oh, the, the bedroom is small or I want to fit right. two beds mm -hmm. in, so we're going to keep mm -hmm. one kid in the crib or something like that. Um, I, I have no problem, especially at five years old. Once they literally outgrow it where they're too long mm -hmm. for it, then that's a problem. But otherwise, no. And a five-year-old, no matter how tall that crib is, the five-year-old is crawling in and out on their yeah. own. It's not like right. they're trapped in. That'd be different if they right. couldn't get out of their bed. at Going outside having a cigarette. And, yeah. Also, this should not... <laughs> be a fight this is a parenting decision so you just gotta support stay out of it grandpa i, I would stay out that's exactly right i would stay out of it i would that's not a thing to fight about there's plenty of things to fight about in this world whether your kid keeps their kid in a crib whatever Move i love on. this we're getting a very like a wide variety of questions now and this because crazy. there were some that people emailed me that are in the show note, too. Yes. Okay. I'll get to those. I just want to make sure I get to our text. Of course. 
Are you accusing me of uh, you criticizing me for not getting to the ones that you Absolutely provide? Absolutely not. Dave, I, think I think that's what that was. Taking that when very I personally. Think, I, th- I am taking it personally. <laughs> Dear Jordana, I'm training a new I'm training a new guy at a plumbing company. Oh god. He's been training with me for almost a month, still does not have the system down for customer service. What should I do? I love these questions. Wait, say it again. He's training in a new guy. Training a new guy, plumbing company. Who knows plumbing like you? I know. He's been training with me for almost a month, still does not have the system down for customer service. What should I do? So I wonder if there's a protocol. Well, again, is a month too much or is a month too short a time or is a month enough of an amount of time for him to learn the system? Um, Because, friends, sometimes people are not in the right job. And if you are training someone and that person cannot pick up the skills of the job, that job is not right for them. When you leave them on their own and the training is done, they will not have a grasp of the job. They will be a detriment to the company and they will be anxious about it themselves, not a good employee. So if that's something you were supposed to pick up in a week and it's still been a month, then um, he's either the wrong person for the job or, you know, not a great employee. So what do you do? I would talk to your supervisor and explain that this is happening because maybe this person, instead of being in plumbing, maybe he needs to be an electrician or something else. Or maybe customer service can be handed off to someone else. But if he's not getting it in the right amount of time, you need to take the bull by the horns on that. Dear Jordana, am I a jerk for expecting my British and South African colleagues to pronounce schedule the American way? (laughs) Of like like schedule 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 schedule, um, yes. If no. You, if you expect other people to oh, yes, pronounce yes, something, I thought you said the other way. Yes. The way you want to hear it, right? You're a jerk. You know, you're also you're not a jerk, but you're pretentious. Yeah. Full if stop. you're if you're pronouncing words the way like other countries are pronouncing. Schedule. If you're if you're an American, call it a schedule. Yeah, get real, buddy. Move on. Yes. Yeah. So, little, yes, the answer, it. you are a jerk. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Or a tomato. Done. No. Done. Uh, should I take a break from my engagement to find out if the sex worker I'm sleeping with is open to a serious relationship? <laughs> okay, these aren't real. Is that a serious question? Now, you want me to read these instead of the ones we're getting from texters who are... Set. What happens? Yes, you should not. You should take a break from your engagement and call it off. Because if you're sleeping with a hooker, you should not be doing that. This is uh, from a frequent texter. I won't identify the texter, but this is a very legitimate question. 64 years old, single, never married, and I'm a virgin. Am I a weirdo? I was raised with the old standards that no sex unless married. And mm-hmm. Don't read there, the rest of that. I'm not going to read the rest, mm-hmm. but are there, very, are, there, <laughs> are there exceptions to the rule, I guess, is what a way I can put that. Um... I'm not an expert on this. I don't. E- like, I, like, I don't feel comfortable even answering this question because I'm not criti- Yeah, I would not. I, I'm not criticizing that. Absolutely, that's what I mean. I am absolutely. I just think that at 64, you know, I think you may be missing out mm-hmm. on some aspects of living life. Yep. And I, I do not criticize your faith or your values. And maybe some people are are more asexual than others, but I think sex is a great part of being human. And I, I wouldn't – not that you're even close to going to the grave. You're only 64. But I, I wouldn't want to miss out on a part of life before you can't do that anymore. So um, I don't think you're a weirdo. No. I, I don't know. And I'm not judging. Um, but we – life is too short often. 
And I think you should enjoy the benefits of being human while you can. And a lot of views have changed on that. Correct. Where there was a time, certainly, when that would Right. Uh, is it wrong our 19-year-old housekeeper sleeps in the bed with me when my wife is out of town? It's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. That would be, Next question. Yeah, that would be a yes. <laughs> See, they're not taking this very seriously, are they? No, I love it, though. I, we do have serious, and then people get it, too. Um, should I, Dear Jordana, should I give, give in to my mother-in-law's insistence that I stop wearing bright colors? <laughs> really? Your mother-in-law says you should stop wearing oh, bright stop colors? It, stop it with the reds. Yeah. Stop it no. with the oranges. Um, no, you don't have to. Your mother-in-law does not get to decide really anything about your life. She doesn't. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry to all the mothers-in-law of the world. You do not get to criticize. I mean, you get to criticize if you want to have a crappy relationship with your daughter-in-law. But no, mothers-in-law do not get a say. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.